Hey, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trong, and to my virtual right, I have Doug Ameth. On the right this time. Thank you. <laughs> and then to my virtual left, I have Paul Ducklin. Hello, folks. That was somewhat out of tune. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. But... You did. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it did. Uh, look, I'm I'm no uh, really good. I'm no musician here, but it did did sound a little little uh, a little pitchy. Little <laughs> well, any two notes, um, like or any one note, is is some pitch. It just it mm-hmm. wasn't mellifluous. I think is the word we are looking for. Oh, I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna believe you. Uh, yeah, that was the word I was looking honey, for. I was say that. Honey, flowing honey. Mm. Flowing honey. That's how I want to sound when I sing. Too bad I don't sound like that. Um, Before we get into the latest in cybersecurity headlines, first we have some recommendations. Now, uh, I have a quick rec this week, and it's silly, but I don't care. I think ever since I started following this account on Instagram, it has changed my life and has brought a new form of joy into my life. Oh, no, it's not that. There's no tapping, is there? Please tell me it's not tapping. No, 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 no. It's not ASMR. I do not like ASMR. No and rain. Not 73 ASMR. hours of rain video. I have no problem with a, some rain sound. No, it's not any of those things. It is cats of Instagram. If you are on Instagram, you have to check them out. It's cats underscore of underscore Instagram. It is the greatest compilation of cat videos. I It comes up in my feed every single day. I love it. It brings me a lot of joy. And uh, if you love cats, even if you don't love cats, you probably will get a kick out of it. So my recommendation this week, guys, cats of Instagram. Kimberly, do you think cat Instagram. videos will ever catch on? <laughs> nope, hmm. never heard of it. I am the vis- I am a trailblazer <laughs> in this. Uh, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Check it out. Doug, do you have a recommendation? this week? I do, Kim, and you're going to love this one. I was worried you might take it. That's how much <gasps> I think you're going to like it. Um, this is a four-part uh, docu-series on Netflix what? called This is a Robbery. It is about <gasps> an unsolved art heist that happened back in Boston in 1990. It is a it's true, I know I don't want to overuse this phrase, but it is a psychoerotic thriller, truly. <laughs> what, got, so. what got stolen? Or would that get, is that, is that a secret? A bunch of expensive paintings, but some very uh, specific paintings, and some things were left that shouldn't have been left, and some things were stolen that they were like, why'd they steal this? So it is a <gasps> white-knuckle Nail thrill biter. ride. Yeah, it is. Uh, check it out. All right, so presumably I'm, I'm it, it's it not resolved if it, it's still unsolved, right? It's so this that is, is correct. So this is all speculative fiction. I'm queuing it. Done. Duck, do you have a recommendation for our lovely listeners? I certainly do. Uh, this is, as the name of the band will give it away, is more space rock, <laughs> instrumental space rock. So it's quite heavy, quite fuzzy, but it's not really metal. It is. It is like you know your sort of psychedelic space rock. Uh, we're in Poland this week. We're in the city of uh, Wrocław, and the band is Ooh. called Space Slug. All one word. <laughs> it's a strange it's name. Such great names. It's a strange name, but it's it's a great band. Is it good for programming? Uh, as you can see, I'm pretending I didn't hear that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was wondering what. I was like, did we lose? Do we lose Duck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but only figuratively. Risky gambit, leaving that much dead air in the podcast. But I'm going to leave it in there. I'm not going to. I leave up. it in there. Yep. I think maybe I'll you... put some crickets in there. Some yeah. crickets. 
<laughs> Just remember that cricket That's is so... a sport, not an insect. <laughs> um, okay, before we get into the headlines, I'm going to quickly tease the Ono oh of the week. And the Ono oh of the week comes from a loyal listener. And all I'm going to say is patch early, patch often, and make sure those patches are actually installed. All right, so headlines, what's happening? We're going to talk about the Pwn to Own 2021 competition. Some big names were pwned here and some strong feelings on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. We're going to talk about what happens when you try to hire a hitman on the dark web. Spoiler, it does not go well. And we're going to talk about Apple and Google blocking the official UK COVID-19 app update. But first, fun fact. You may recall a handful of episodes ago, Paul recommending a band called Yuri Gagarin. 60 years ago this week, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human being to travel into space. Gagarin orbited the Earth for 108 minutes, reaching a maximum height of 327 kilometers or 203 miles. As his capsule descended to Earth, Gagarin ejected at 7 kilometers or about 4 miles and parachuted safely to the ground. So that's the official record, but Kim, back me up on this. Aliens have been taking humans into space to study us and breed with us <laughs> for millions of years. Am I right? <laughs> that can't be true, Doug, because they couldn't have got more than 75 miles above the Earth because they would have hit the dome. Everybody knows that. <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's something to <laughs> gnaw on for a while. Great point. Oh, all the conspiracy theories packed into just a few minutes of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. The dome would have gone in the way, as Duck said. And But you know what? Aliens, I guess, have a, a special door that they use when they're coming in to uh, abduct a certain yep. individuals. But, oh, yeah. golly, I'd forgotten about the door. They call it a hatch. Door. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Like the one at the back Open of the... Open the hatch, they say. Like the one at the back of the uh, set in the Truman Show. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Great, That's great movie. How do you know that movie, Paul? You don't. You, your TV is only meant for testing out computer components. You know that there there was a time not so long ago when you could actually watch movies without having a television. They're actually projected no. in a huge room <laughs> with lots of other people, plus popcorn, onto a massive screen with much higher quality. I well, I well in general, I just thought Paul Ducklin, you weren't um, the uh, the biggest fan of uh, Hollywood and, and movies. I'm just not a movie buff. I I just find right, that yeah, I would gotcha, rather gotcha. sit down and read a book, and then I can have the movie I want playing in my own head. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not against yeah. movies. I just don't spend a lot of time watching them. I will. I want to bring up. So I hear people being like, "Well, how could?" How come no one will sit down and watch a movie, but you'll watch 10 hours of the same TV show? The reason is you don't bail out an hour into a movie because you're like, I've invested an hour. I've only got 45 minutes left. You will bail out after a TV show after the first episode. You'll say, uh -huh. I'm not going to watch any more of this. That's why people will watch uh, 10 hours of TV and not a movie because you don't bail out of a movie like you bail out of a series. That's my opinion. What I would say to that is how many people watched Police Academy 12? Plenty. So there are loads of people <laughs> who invest hours and hours in movie franchises. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the honest to God truth is that people are going to sit around and watch anything as long as it piques their interest. You know what I mean? So, so true. Yeah. Also coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. That's 
Yeah, pandemic certainly helps in terms of sitting around and uh, <laughs> watching endless hours. Yeah, let's go out this evening, okay? Uh, what that means is switch to the other laptop. Open a window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Open a window, exactly. Um, okay, let's right. uh, let's shift gears from pandemics to pondemics. <laughs> Whoa, love your work. Clear the <laughs> runway for you here. I, why don't you explain what Pwn to Own is and what happened, and then I have several questions. Well, Pwn to Own is an annual competition that pits top cybersecurity researchers slash hackers against specific platforms where certain vendors will have put out a certain amount of money to say, we don't just want you to have found a bug that might be exploitable. We want you to show up and it's all competitive and there's a, you know, in fact, it's really competitive and we'll give you a limited time window. So you bring the working exploit with you and we provide the computer and you let your exploit go and we look at whether it works. And if it does, and if you can completely pwn our system, like you can achieve a certain result, then you win a prize, which is probably bigger than you'd get if you disclosed all the little bits one by one as you were going along. So there's there's part showmanship, but there's also part, you know, this is not just finding a bug and thinking, I wonder whether this is serious. It's about honing your research skills to to figure out how you actually exploit those bugs. And there were some big names this year that were, as they say, fully owned. Yes. Now, to be fair, that doesn't mean that everyone who isn't on the list had products that did fine. Those are the companies mm-hmm. that actually came forward and said, yep, you know, like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Exchange, for example. Those products came forward and said, we're going to put ourselves out there Here's the money you'll win if you achieve this particular result because we're interested not just in knowing about bugs that we can fix, but also about following the process that you went through to stitch it all together because that might help to inform our overall you know, code design and implementation in the future. That's the idea. And there is an element of, there is an element of luck of the drawn competition. It is a bit like vagacy because... If you show up with this chain of exploits that gets you a particular result and somebody else shows up with the same exploits, then you go in sequence and the sequence is determined by rolling dice before the competition starts. So it's random, right? Hard random. So the person who goes first has an advantage over anyone else because if their exploit works, anyone else who just happened to find the same exploit gets zero dollars. Thanks for coming. And when we talk about the dollars, I'm looking at the prize list here. $200,000, $200,000, $200,000, $100,000, dollars If I put my guy everyman hat on and I'm just a normal person, I think I answer my own question, which is why are these researchers waiting until this competition to disclose these attacks that they've found work against these products? Well, that is a criticism that many people have and if you go to the naked security article there are some interesting comments there from people arguing both sides and i tried uh, both sides of the argument and i tried to put a position that was kind of in the middle seeing both sides of it from the inside um my own preference is for what you might call continuous disclosure where you find a bug you think it's probably exploitable you report it to the vendor the vendor goes yeah you're probably right we'll fix it. 
and they give you 5,000 bucks and maybe you do 10 of those in a year, you earn yourself 50,000 bucks. I think that would be a better result than that you save up one of those and then you show up to some competition and you take the chance of winning 50 grand all at once. Um, On the other hand, the idea of Pwn to Own is that you do have to come with complete research. It's very hard just to get lucky and go, hey, I found a bug. I don't quite know how to exploit it, but I can see that it's wrong. And so you send it in and get your money anyway. Here you're actually showing up. Part of what you're agreeing is that if your exploit works, if you achieve the result, my understanding is you can you can decline the prize and walk away with your exploit. You don't have to disclose it at that point. Uh, I don't oh, know whether okay. anyone's ever done that. Um, but if you want the prize, basically you hand it over and there's like, six months of silence for it and the vendor gets access not just to the hair found the bug but you have to hand over essentially a a research paper that says this is how i did it so to be fair there is probably more that the vendor gets out in terms of what you went through to get there than they might if you just disclosed it and moved on and i presume that's why companies like Microsoft, Parallels, Apple, Google, Zoom are prepared to pay this kind of money in lump sums for people to come out with those papers. Because they're not just saying, oh, we want to know about bugs. They're saying, what we want, we're we're challenging you to provide a specific outcome. For example, with the virtual machines, escape from guest OS to host OS. The $40,000 ones on Windows were, you need to be have a regular process and you promote it to the system account just like that elevation of privilege to system on ubuntu it was you have to get elevation of privilege and you have to end up with root so you know the company's asking you to go and find specific types of hole maybe that's because something that means a lot to them so i guess it is a sort of different strokes for different folks type of thing and i i would prefer that the bugs just get found and not fully weaponized and fixed as we go along but i can see why this idea of getting the structured response complete with the full technical documentation is also a benefit because it is quite informative to learn how the person got there because after all the crooks aren't coming forward and telling us exactly how they did all the steps when they come up with full beginning to end exploit chains it is interesting too that a remote code execution can fetch 200 grand in this competition but an elevation of privilege those are those top out at 40 grand i've i've always been of the mind that elevation of privilege is pretty that's pretty serious that's a pretty serious attack yes although it is not as severe as someone being able to poke a network packet into your web server and just take over and remember that typically when you're going to do something like a full exchange server takeover like happened with that whole hafnium thing remember is that Mm. you're actually not just getting a you're generally not going to just show up with a remote code execution exploit you're going to show up with a remote code execution exploit to get in. You're going to show up perhaps with some kind of sandbox escape to get out. And you're going to show up with an elevation of privilege exploit to get up. So the reason for the bigger bucks is generally you're not, you've probably got an EOP to system built into your server takeover as well. So it's like you're getting the 200 grand because there's 40 grand's worth of work in there 
in addition to all the other stuff. That's the general theory why, you know, the bigger bucks go for the, the, the bigger pony ships. That's because typically there's a whole chain of exploits needed. And there's also that disclosure of how you knitted it all together in a way that actually made three apparently independent vulnerabilities turn into one giant security hole. Because actually understanding that is also important for informing and guiding our future attitude towards what you might call secure development lifecycle. Okay, and if I once again put on my guy everyman hat and I ask the question, is uh, a time limit of 20 minutes a realistic representation of how uh, an attack would play out in real life? I think so, because when you look at what crooks generally bring to the table they've already by the time they're using an exploit broadly they know it works in other words the idea of pwn to own is you don't show up and do live hacking you show up with all that meticulous research so yes they could give more time they could give you time to you know they could give you say two hours so you can try and hack your hack to make the hack more hackier if it's needed if your exploit doesn't work but the idea is what you're supposed to show here is that you have produced an attack that is truly general in other words the most dangerous sort of attack the one that if criminals had it, they would be able to basically pwn anybody, whether they were using this year's Windows 10, last year's Windows 10. You know what I mean? That you, so you, 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 you've just got the 20-minute window because the competition takes three days anyway to run. And the idea is you're meant to show up with this thing and that you believe works. And you're being offered an opportunity on their hardware. Right. There you are. Show us that it works. And so in theory, it should just work almost immediately. That is an important distinction because you, a, a lot of times when you hear about these hackathons or codeathons, the structure is you show up, they present a problem, and then you have a limited amount of time to solve it. But this is you are... Yes, you, exactly. Yeah. Don't, this is completely different. This is where you're showing up for the 100-meter final. If you can't already run 9.9, don't, don't show up, Right. Yeah, we could circle back to that criticism of how long are some of these groups sitting on these these exploits and these attacks in in order to try to take home this prize. Right, because like these are meant to be for the most severe vulnerabilities, isn't that (laughs) to sit on them for so long? I mean, isn't that dangerous? Some people say that. I'm inclined to agree with that. I would prefer that whole so-called continuous disclosure approach. The, the flip side to that is that you can argue, convincingly enough, I suppose, that there is an inherent limit here. Because remember, if you sit on it for too long until next pwn to own comes round and someone else finds it in the interim and discloses it to the vendor, your vulnerability is useless for pwn to own You can't use it because it's already fixed. And by the time you show up, the system you have right. will be patched and your exploit won't work. So right. there is a natural disincentive to sit on exploits for too long because even with regular bug bounties, you could think, well, I'll sit back, maybe they'll put the price up. But somebody could come in and gazump you by finding the same vulnerability and coming in and disclosing it immediately. So I think that the counter argument is... It's kind of is, a gamble. The, the counter is that it's a gamble by these contestants. And also yeah. it means that they they can... Because they're looking at stringing a whole load of things together, they 
you know, they do have a bit more time. And there's the whole report. So, yeah, I think the it would be nice if this stuff, were, in my opinion, if the stuff were disclosed immediately and just fixed and we all moved on. On the other hand, we might not learn quite so much about how to have code that avoids chainable vulnerabilities just as much as we avoid trying to have individual vulnerabilities. And there is that, yeah, that, as you say, that, that natural sort of statute of limitations, that if you wait too long, Someone's going to beat you to it, and then you have an exploit worth dollar zero. Okay, mm. that is Pwn to Own 2021, Zoom, Teams, Exchange, Chrome and Edge, quote, fully owned, end quote. And there's also a great little podcast at the bottom of that article by Paul and our friend Chester Wisniewski talking about vulnerabilities. So nice little explainer on vulnerabilities if you want to learn more. Alrighty, moving on to our next story. Um you know, I'm not going to lie. I <laughs> No, no, don't make us laugh. It's kind of not funny, but I'm it's not gonna, hilarious. I, it's not funny. It's, there's nothing funny. I want, my, I want listeners to know that there's nothing funny about this story. Why I am laughing is just because uh, this guy got caught, to be honest. So yeah. anyway, here's a story. Italian charged with hiring, quote, dark web hitman to murder his ex-girlfriend. Now, as Doug knows, I love me some true crime stuff, hence why I'm, 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 I, that's probably really why I'm laughing is I'm. Truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, yes, this is definitely one of those cases. This sure is definitely is. one of those cases. Um, so here we go. Uh, in a brief yet fascinating press release, Europol just announced the arrest of an Italian man who is accused of, quote, hiring a hitman on the dark web. According to Europol, the hitman hired through an internet assassination website. Okay. Who knew? Hosted who knew? Hosted on the Tor network, was paid about 10,000 euros worth in bitcoins to kill the ex-girlfriend of the suspect. Uh, Europol isn't saying much more about how it traced the suspect other than it, quote, carried out an urgent, complex crypto analysis. Now... In this case, the word crypto is being used to refer to cryptocurrency, not cryptography, which I know is Doug's favorite. Mm. Um, it's not Doug, Duck's favorite. Um, and cryptanalysis. So it sounds like, in other words, the investigation seems to have focused on unraveling the process that the suspect followed in purchasing the bitcoins used to pay for the hit rather than on decrypting the Tor connections used to locate the hitman in the first place or in tracing the Bitcoins to the alleged assassin. Um, so <laughs> this is where I'm going to start laughing. Um, not because, again, that this is a, this is a funny story, but it, it, there's so many issues uh, with everything obviously involved in this crime. A uh, person buying a hitman to kill their ex-girlfriend. Um, the issue here I think we want to highlight is, uh, so this guy, he goes onto the dark web, right, to buy a hitman. Um, because everyone knows that's just what don't... the dark web's for, right? I thought, it was, I thought it was for buying drugs, but apparently not. It's a hiring I, I guess a hitman any, too. It I mean, seems. Oh, there's an entire <laughs> there's an entire hitman uh, assassination website. Crazy, but I think the other thing here is if you're going to go on the dark web, right, and you're going to buy a hitman, uh, how do you know if they're a scammer or not? That's you don't my big know. question. First of all, you're renting a hitman. You don't own this person. Second of all, <laughs> um, how do you? What's the what's the vetting process? <laughs> 
You have to <laughs> get referred by another. Yeah, exactly. Do you get some references up in there? It like, has to be run by a proper. It's run by an actual. It has to be run by an actual hitman, and this is like his buddies, right? I, and then those well, are all the other hitmen that you can hire. It cannot be. It cannot be some sort of third party. It's it's bizarre. Well, then if you get scammed, obviously there's no better business bureau. This is uh, this is an organization we have in the United States where you can report scams and uh, poor customer service experience. Yeah, yeah no, they're like no user reviews, like yeah. three out of five. Like it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Like he was pretty good. Like, I like how did I I'm going to take you to know. the small claims court? Oh no, I'm not. Right. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That. Uh, so I don't know. I think this is ultimately why I'm laughing to myself is, A, first, this guy got caught. Great. That's fantastic news. Um, second, I just don't understand how you how this th- how this all comes to be, you know, like all the steps involved. Well, intriguingly, in the what's probably the highest profile dark web prosecution ever, which is, of course, Ross Ulbricht. Um, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. Silk Road he ended up with two life sentences without parole plus a bonus 20 years just in case so it did not end well for oh. him he was apparently on the original charge sheet although I think these charges never went forward in the end he was charged with six uh, you know so-called uh, dark web hits and apparently in wow. one of them uh, he was in fact chatting to an undercover cop anyway so uh, yeah, as Doug said, how do you ever know? And you know, I I think so. Let's let, as you say, happy ending in this case. The the person who would have been the victim now now knows that something bad was going to happen and can maybe take requisite precautions. Uh, yeah, the yeah. the person who allegedly did it, and it is only an allegation at this stage, has been caught, and they've been, if you like, pre-fined ten thousand euros because I don't think. The pseudo hitman is going to give the money back, but I think the <laughs> the I think this is a, a, it's a no return policy yeah. on the the hitman uh, uh inter, the assassination website. Um, yeah, I think that article. I mean, it was kind of interesting to write, but for me, the hardest part was you know how we on nakedsecurity.sofos.com. One of our trademarks is in every article that we can, we want to have a section at the end, what to do. So that's what our readers like. They want the advice. They don't just want the news. What am I going to do? And I had to say in this article, I, I kind of don't know what to say. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give advice that you can go how to hire the hitman without getting caught. I'm delighted that it ended how it did. But there is a flip side to that, which is this is a fascinating reminder that if you decide to use Tor, and there are very many perfectly legitimate reasons one of which is just simply you don't want to be tracked and traced like normal on the internet for a bit. If you do decide to use Tor, it doesn't magically turn you into somebody else. And that even if you stick entirely to the dark web and you don't just use Tor to anonymize your traffic and then emerge onto the real web, like I think most Tor browsing does, you still have that problem that if you're actually going to negotiate a transaction Although the authorities might not be able to figure out who you are because of Tor's traffic anonymization, like if you want the drugs delivered or if you want the hitman to kill a particular person, you're going to be presumably giving away an awful lot about yourself, like either where you live or in this case, you'd kind of think it would have raised some alarm bells <laughs> because it's his ex-girlfriend. 
you know, yeah. how many it, ex-boyfriends it, it, yeah. does she have that they need to go through the list of? Probably not very many. Right. And as we've talked about in the past, all we need to do is maybe surf through her Instagram for a few minutes and we can identify who said ex-boyfriend is. So the problem is that, you know, the that I think there are a lot of people who use Tor entirely innocently for entirely legitimate and purposeful reasons but they may put themselves at unnecessary risk while doing so because they assume that it confers more privacy more anonymity than it really does now if you're the kind of person that you want to use tour because you think that privacy and anonymity you can turn it to your advantage to do something nasty or derogatory or hideous or dangerous or criminal to somebody else then no, I'm not going to advise you how to. I don't want to tell you how to get your anonymity right, and I hope you get caught. On the other hand, it seems a pity that people who kind of think, okay, I'm going to try and do this the right way, like I'm going to be a whistleblower, but I'm going to, I'm going to be perfectly anonymous, and then they forget all the other precautions that they need. So the fact that this guy was caught does rather strongly suggest that anonymity on the web, including the dark web, and including in cryptocurrency forums, only goes so far. And it's very important to remember that. I have a theory in case anyone cares about what happened. I care. <laughs> My theory is this hitman, not a hitman. First of all, <laughs> 10,000 euros, it seems a little low. It does seem low. So he's attracting a price-conscious buyer. He no he's going to take the Bitcoin. He's not giving it back, and he's going to turn this guy over. And he's just doing that's his, th that's his thing. That's a good job. Yeah, I got your big. I got your ten ten thousand euro. I know these other guys are charging forty or fifty or whatever they charge. I'm I'm a I'm a discount hitman, and I, I'm just gonna immediately turn you over because you're bad. You're a bad guy. It does seem that in this case, uh, the authorities didn't need to go after the tour side of things. So there was no question mm -hmm. of like hacking tour or implanting mm, right. malware. You're doing anything like that. Right. They were just able to figure. Well, there are some crypto coins that went somewhere. Let's try and trace them so far as we can and of course if you don't have crypto coins and suddenly you do and you bought them with regular money then there's going to be a trail somewhere and it seems that mm. that's what they're able to follow now europe they have no need to disclose exactly how they did it i'm sure they want to keep it to themselves it may come out in the court case if there is one a person might be guilty or something like that so it might never know but yeah, it is, it is a reminder that you can be anonymous online, but you can't be casual about it. And it is a kind of privilege that you, you know, you need to take seriously. And another reminder that just because you pay for something in Bitcoin doesn't mean it's untraceable. It's it's hard to mm. trace, but if you're not careful, it can get traced back to you. Yes. And right? there's the fact that at some point, if you want something to happen via the dark web, in the physical world that somehow connects to you you've got to give something about yourself away to the person at the other end mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people think oh well i'm on the dark web i you know i've and i've got i'm using a i'm using a username of banana rama 99 no one will ever figure that out well they might and we've spoken about that many times before on the podcast about those little hints that can just reveal well here's an anonymous account but oh look Here's something online that we found somewhere else that just happens to tie you to it. You know, that's interesting and important evidence, and you shouldn't be surprised if it turns up. 
Well, now that I've got Bananarama on the mind, um, <laughs> I've got Cruel Summer playing in my head now. Uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, I was looking for a word that didn't mean anything, but I always say Bananarama because it's nice yeah. and long, but easy to remember and trips off the tongue. Uh, but, so I, and I, a great band. Uh, I, I, I didn't great band know, from the 80s. No, yes, it's just not programming music, however. No, it's not. <laughs> not programming music. So you're not going to get uh, it recommended by me, but I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to dis <laughs> or disrecommend them by throwing out the name uh, there, and I do apologise. No slight intended. Well, I highly recommend them. They are my. That's my second recommendation of this episode. Um, if you want to read more about this story, again, you can check it out on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It's Italian, charged with hiring dark web hitman to murder his ex-girlfriend. If I can have a little promotion in here quickly, in the article, there's a nice naked security video that we made a year or so ago ah, yes. uh, entitled, What is the Dark Web? It's a little explainer video that's non-technical that goes into the benefits the risks, the good and the bad, and, you know, why you might want to use it legitimately and, you know, why you should not be surprised if you try and use it for bad things and it doesn't work out quite as well as you thought. Cool. All right, moving right along. Let's take a break. Let's stretch our legs. Let's get out of the cybersecurity car for a second and discuss <laughs> technology etymology. We spoke earlier about Yuri Gagarin orbiting the Earth, the word orbit comes to us from the late 14th century, where it was used to describe the eye socket. Mm -hmm. Orbit yep. in Orbital. French. Orbita mm -hmm. in medieval Latin, where it was also used to describe a wheel track, a beaten path, a rut, or a course. It would later go on to be used in the astronomical sense to describe the circular or elliptical path of a planet or comet. Orbit. Also gum. <laughs> New orbit gum, yes. <laughs> I'm full of Orbit's gum, a cleaner clean, or whatever she says. <laughs> yes. Also, my favorite gum. Another fact the audience didn't know, need to know. Uh, <laughs> thank you I'm a denty nice guy myself, but that's neither here nor there. Here we need sponsors there. for this podcast. So. We do. Orbit, Dentine, if you're gum. out there. Let's talk about Apple and Google blocking the official UK COVID-19 app update. In real estate, there's a saying, location, location, location. When it comes to apps, that is not a good thing unless it's some sort of mapping app. So there's several interesting things that uh, are happening in this story. But I would like to quickly scroll all the way down to the bottom to the final comment. As of the time of this podcast, the most interesting thing I read was that Paul is running Android 11, which came out like six months ago, on a Samsung Galaxy S3, which came out almost a decade ago. Kudos to you, Paul. <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't being silent there to give you the silent treatment. I couldn't think of a response other than, yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> uh, but I suppose thank you very much. I mean, it's what a time it, to be not, alive. What a it's rush. Not, it's not my skill. I, somebody else did all the hard work of, of adapting the the Google open source code to, you know, get around all the things that the old hardware doesn't have that the new software expects. But yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah. I'm looking at a basket of all my old phones and tablets right now, and I'm going to load them up. Yeah, I just <laughs> hate the idea of phones going into landfill or getting recycled when they could be reused. 
And this was a few years ago, actually. I went to IT and I said, look, I'm looking for a phone. I need to do some Android research. My my old Android Nexus has died. Like the battery finally lost its ability to recharge at all. Have you got any old phones? I, I don't want you. I don't need you to buy me a new one. Just find me something that's in a drawer. And they looked around and they came out with that. It was about four years ago. And I've been using it as reliably as a research phone ever since. It went through one period where I thought I'd it had finally died because it wouldn't charge at all and the battery was dead. And I discovered that was faulty USB cable. Um, so, yeah, there you are. It, it's possible. So it's nice for screenshots and just doing stuff where I know I can quickly reflash the phone afterwards, you know, wipe it out. And so if you want to try malware and stuff like that, it doesn't have a SIM card in it, so it can't accidentally connect to the mobile network. I can block Wi-Fi if I just want to run an app in a constrained environment. So no harm done to anyone else. Yeah. Heartwarming That's tale as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> However, it cannot run the NHS COVID-19 app. <laughs> Ah, there we go. Good segue. Because it's not an official Google Android build, so it doesn't have access to that special exposure notifications API. Splendid. So what happened here? We're we're talking about... So my understanding of these COVID uh, tracking apps is they're using Bluetooth to judge whether you've been within... What's Bluetooth range? 30 meters? Whether you've been close to someone who has it. I think the theory is it's supposed to be a bit less than that. Yeah, basically, the you can knit your own app. So some countries decided to go their own way uh, and not to use the Google slash Apple jointly prepared API, and they knitted their own. I think the, I think the NHS in the UK tried that at first. It did not work out well for them. There are all sorts of issues about privacy, but also about access to Bluetooth, battery usage, and so on. And so Apple and Google, bless their hearts, for once, in, for once, they decided, let's work together because, like, we have to cooperate on this. And so they came up with an idea. They wanted a way that they would add some extra functionality into the Blue, their Bluetooth stack on iOS and Android that could help with coronavirus notifications. But because they were doing it in a hurry, they did not want a privacy disaster. So they decided we're going to wall this off strictly and we're going to make it available to health authorities only. You are not going to be able to use strong location access in your app as well as our privacy preserving access to Bluetooth. So you will not be allowed to turn on location even if the user is happy for you to do that. We're just going to ban that and we're not going to share any data either with ourselves or with the health authority. There's just going to be like a local database on everybody's phone that later, if someone reports in to the system, I've been infected, anybody who has been near that anonymous person can work out that they were near someone who was infected, but they'll have no idea who that person was. And so the idea of what Apple and Google did is they said, we're going to have some very limiting guidelines. What means you can build an app, and if you want to use this API, because we did it in a hurry, because it's for a special purpose, because it is somewhat controversial, we don't want feature creep setting in. We don't want apps that start with this so everyone's willing to adopt it. Then, well, let's track location. Oh, let's make it available to law enforcement. Oh, let's do this, let's do that. They just figured we put this in just so that people can be alerted that they might want to go for a test 
or isolate. And the reason that the NHS app in England and Wales and that the update fell foul of this, apparently, this is according to the BBC, is because they decided to have admittedly purely opt-in also share your location. So you could actually choose to upload accurate location information if you wished, because you know that might be useful data that the medical researchers could use. And Apple and Google said, sorry, you just can't do that. And we're not going to negotiate on it because it's like, you know, dance like no one's watching, encrypt like everybody is. Sometimes if you have a rule that this applies to everything and you just stick to it, no exceptions, things are much easier to manage. And so that's what happened. It doesn't mean you can't use the app. It still works. It's still on App Store. It's still working fine. It's just that their new update that was supposed to coincide with our coming out of lockdown a little bit yesterday uh, didn't make it. So it looks like they're going to have to strip that functionality out, maybe have a separate app where you can share the data, pure location data, if you wish. I have a bit of a noob question. Uh, do Did they ever come out and say whether this was a mistake, like having both? At least according to the BBC story, it wasn't that they tried to sneak this in. It's quite overt. Right. They went to the trouble of making it opt-in also. So and they, they, someone on knew. both iOS and mm-hmm. Android, even for an app that normally needs a permission and asks for it up front, you can go in and override that later. For example, you can go in on Android and you can say, you know that app called Phone? I want it to have no access to my microphone. You could do that. It would be rather pointless, but you can actually make that override. So you could turn location services off anyway, and this would still work. But Apple and Google, I think they're coming from the idea that they built this API with a very specific purpose and with, a, a, a if you like, a very specific privacy promise. And so they don't want anything to kind of get in the way of that. I'm just reading um, an analysis at the bottom of that BBC article that you linked to, Duck, and it said, just a week ago, the Department of Health seemed to think that this update to the app would go through without problems. It's hard to understand why, after all, the rules for using the Apple Google exposure notification system were clear. Collecting any location data was a no-no. The app team knew that when they switched to it last summer, having discovered that going it alone with their own system was just not practical. Yes, the, <laughs> the, the text from the, this is not the, the full sort of legalese, but it's a very informative FAQ. There's a link to it on the Naked Security article. The way they put it is, they said, there will be restrictions. And this is going back, I think, to April last year when they did this in a tearing hurry. We will put restrictions on the data that apps can collect when they are using this privacy-preserving API, including that you will not be able to request access to location services. And there'll be other restrictions on what you can do with the data. I agree. I think that's pretty clear. It's just a reminder to developers that rules are important and often they are there for a purpose. And as counterproductive as they may seem, sometimes those rules that say we will allow no exceptions because that makes it much easier to manage and demonstrate correctness are a good thing. All right, that is Apple and Google block official UK COVID-19 app update on nakedsecurity.sophos.oh, no. (laughs) That's not the website. That's not the URL, the correct URL, Doug. But it is a nice segue into our next segment, guys. It's the it's it's your most favoriteest time of the seg <laughs> of 
the the God, what am I saying? Let me repeat myself. I'm excited too, Kim. <laughs> I am losing my words. It's the oh no of the week. Now, this week's oh no is brought to you by a loyal listener, Michael Curtis, who writes a new tagline for you. Patch early, patch often, make sure they are installed. I see what you did there, Michael, and I love it. <laughs> we, we love to talk about <laughs> patching. I came across this server during a recent consulting gig. The endpoint software was broken, and the knowledge base article said, easy fix, install the Windows patches. We downloaded them, and they said they weren't applicable to the system. That can't be right. We need them. Checked Windows updates. Wow, no service pack one installed and not updated since 2016. This was Windows 2008 R2. I suspect it is still vulnerable to Eternal Blue and Double Pulsar, plus many, many other things. To be fair, it has been trying each month for five years to install them. Smiley face emoji. Oh my, what? What happened? (laughs) Yeah, there's a... What? It's surprising how many people adopt that set-and-forget mentality, isn't it? If you've turned on automatic updates, there is no reason not to check once in a while. Oh, my God. Because it could have broken. Can you believe it? And the nice thing is about most update checks, like if you say you do it on an iPhone or... uh, often on firefox when you go and check to see if you're up to date if you're not it'll say hey you missed one do you want to catch up yes thank you <laughs> golly 2008 wow. r2 simpler times and not that's a long time before. ago can you imagine because that, that would be the days before cumulative updates oh yeah days, wouldn't it so if they did have updates you could probably have a small vacation while it caught up yeah i wonder how many times it would have to reboot Think of the consulting fees you could rake in while you're waiting for these updates to go through. I don't. I think you might find that one hard to argue yeah. about. But I suppose you could take you could take uh, some pre-mixed gin and tonic along sure. there and take it as leisure time. Wow! Wow! Two thousand and eight R two, and not an update for at least five years. Because in theory, it could have gone back even further, right? I, oh yeah. Dear. Oh no! Indeed. Oh no, indeed. Well named. Uh, and I love and Michael. I love this. I love this tagline. Patch early, patch often. Make that sure they are installed. Very good advice. Yeah, we should start <laughs> <Yeah>. using that. <laughs> we're gonna yoink that from you, uh, dear Michael. And thank you so much for submitting your own note to us. We're going to do what? Yoink! <laughs> yoink! Is that a word, or did yoink. you just make it up? <laughs> yoink is like one of my yoink. favorite sound effects to say. Oh, yoink. oh, it's uh, just an onomatopoeia. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> like a regular word that I'm that yeah. yes exactly I quite uh, like it because like as you can imagine for the last week I've been everything everything that I don't like has been a nothing burger mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, I've just been I've literally well no, no I've been not literally dining out on it now I think I'm gonna I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna adopt yoink yeah great yoink if you have a oh no that you want us to yoink <laughs> You can send it to tips at sophos.com or you can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles on nakedsecurity.sophos.com or you can DM us. We're on all the platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Naked Security. And uh, also, too, if you just so happen to be on Reddit, you can find me on there. It's oh, no, it's Kim. O-H, no, N-O, it's Kim. 
And uh, until next time, stay secure. I'm using a username of Bananarama99. No one will ever figure that out.